Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Now, if you remember our study from last week, it was an introduction to the book of Ephesians. Now, several things that we have to remember here is the threat. Uh, the threat that surrounded the saints in Ephesus. Now, on top of that, and that that we looked at the uh, uh, the threat uh, 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 on the saints, but then also the threat among the overseers, among the elders. Remember the Miletus meeting when Paul called for the elders of Ephesus, and then at the same time, remember that uh, as we continue, I mean, we look at Acts nineteen where Paul's in Ephesus, and about a, 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 a six year gap. Between a six-year time frame uh, between uh, uh, Paul writing this uh, letter to the saints in Ephesus. But remember, during this time period, the cost of being a Christian is getting more intense. It's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. So there's threats uh, within and threats without, uh, the external and internal. There's these threats and you know, we can look at this from an aspect of, okay, that, you know, these are threats that are uh, potential uh, damage causing. But then at the same time, when we have the mindset of offense, it's like, okay, then I want to be prepared. I want you and me, us, to be prepared. You see, it's it's not to look at... a. A, 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 a threat or a dangerous environment and recoil in defeat, but understand in order to move forward in a dangerous environment that there's there are certain things that need to happen within us, within you, within me, within us. And it's not carnal. We have to get rid of the carnal mindset. A lot of people today are wa- walking according to the flesh, and that will be damage causing to the saints in the last days. I mean, the saints in any time to walk according to the flesh and following the carnal passions, the carnal desires. But we are a spirit-led people. We walk according to the spirit. Now, if if you don't know, if you do not know what it looks like to walk according to the spirit, well, we study the scriptures and we see saints walking according to the spirit and we see saints walking according to the flesh and we see what we, we see what happens i mean look at the corinthian letters you have believers remember in first corinthians chapter one two three four paul addresses everybody as saints but then when we get into first corinthians chapter five now if, if you're listening for the first time or you haven't been through our study through the first corinthians uh, or second corinthians purpose in your heart to listen to those messages because the Corinthian letters, it will help you to mature in Christ. But you see 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, and Paul addresses everybody as saints. But then it comes at a heavy cost to those who are walking according to the flesh. You see, where Paul says to those who are walking according to the spirit, and they still have some learning to do because remember there was chastising upon them as well. Remember when he says, do I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Do I praise you in that? I do not praise you. He says that to this remnant in Corinth. But you see, there's a separation that happens when those who are still saints, they believe in Jesus Christ, but there's a problem. And the problem was the carnal nature, walking according to the flesh. Now, remember that three-year gap in Corinth. It's not just like, you know, they're walking according to the flesh for a couple days. No, they're walking according to the flesh for a couple days, times two, times three, times ten, for three years. 
And nobody was there to correct them, the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. Just as the warning that Paul gave to the overseers, the Miletus meeting, the overseers in Ephesus, those who are biblically tasked of the Lord to oversee and not not take charge. That's kind of like a, a, a carnal mindset, but to keep order, to keep order in the fellowships, order among the saints. And this threat among the overseers was that wolves would come in among them and even some of them would turn into wolves. How does that happen? Even them walking according to the flesh, according to the carnal nature. You see, turning into servants of Satan if they become wolves. And that's the threat that was to Ephesus. And that's the threat that's for you and me today. The threat is there. And we can look at threats and be like, oh, you know, I, uh, it's immobilizing. Because of these threats, I don't want to go anywhere. But no, it's to have this mindset to, in, 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 in the face of these threats. What do we do? Well, we wear the full armor of God. Full armor of God. Don't forget, we have the armor. The helmet, the breastplate, the shield. And the sword. These are these are what we learn in in, in uh, equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we look at this letter to the Ephesian saints, and the cost of being a Christian is also intensifying. Remember, you're caught by Rome. You're a Christian, and you're caught by Rome. They put a sword to your neck. Doesn't matter, young, old, male, female. It doesn't matter, boy, girl. They put a, a, a sword to your neck, and they ask you a question: Who is Lord. You say Caesar is Lord, you get to live. You get to go home, have a nice meal, go to bed at night, and everything's fine and dandy, so to speak. But they put a sword to your neck and you say, they ask you, who is Lord? And you say, Jesus is Lord. Now that person, that person has a choice. I'm speaking of the Roman. They ask a question, who is Lord? You say, Jesus is Lord. Now that person has a choice. Let me see. Am I going to plunge this sword into this person's neck? Or am I going to capture this person and enroll him or her into the games to be eaten by lions, to be eaten by bears? You see? The cost of being a Christian was intensifying. The threats were around, you know, within, inside the church. But then the, the threats were without, outside the church. But then the threats were also within, deep within. I'm not talking about within the church. I'm talking about within the heart, within the mind. You see? And that's the same threat that is around us today. Internal, external, and deep within the heart, the mind. And so the Holy Spirit says, Paul, write these saints a letter. And this is the letter we read today. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Apostle is messenger. Now, remember, before being a messenger, a person has to be a disciple first. Remember, student first. It's in and then through. Remember, we studied that in Corinthians. We studied that in Galatians. And here we are looking at it in Ephesians, referring to Paul himself, an apostle of Jesus. Apostle is messenger. But don't forget, he was a disciple first. You say, wait a second, he, he didn't write one of the Gospels. How do you say he was a disciple? Where, remember, he didn't confer with, with flesh. He did not immediately confer with flesh. 
Remember when we studied that in Galatians? It's like, you know, you'd, you'd think Paul's a brand new believer in Jesus Christ. You'd think, okay, he's going to go speak to some Christians. He's going to go speak to the heavies in, in, the, in the church. But what does he do? He goes to Arabia. You see, left field. He goes to Arabia. And he consults with the Lord. He goes straight to the source. Praise be to the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. This is so powerful. Now, a lot of times, I used to ask this question, what is the will of the Lord? What is God's will? What is God's will? God is, what is God's will? I don't ask that question anymore because I have the answer. You might have the same question. What is the Lord's will for my life? And I'll give you the answer straight up. Two things. You want to know what God's will is for your life? First, your obedience unto him. Your obedience unto him. Second, wait. That's God's will for your life. You, your obedience unto him. And then you wait. But wait a second. What, what, how do I know? Should I evangelize? Should I be a, a pastor? Should I be an elder? Should I? That's not my call. That's between you and the Lord. God's will for your life is your obedience unto him. And then you wait. Because when the Lord speaks, all doubt is gone. And I tell you this from experience. You will not wonder. Oh, I wonder if I'm in God's will. I wonder if I should do this. I wonder. No, when God speaks, all doubt is gone. That's, that's between you and the Lord. But I give you these two things. What is God's will for your life? Answer number one, your obedience unto him. Answer number two, wait. Wait on him. Now, a lot of times in order to justify certain doctrines, in order to justify certain teachings of men, not of the Lord, there's this common theory, this common theology that has been developed uh, by the bellies of men and they divide God's will. They say, well, there's God's will and then there's God's perfect will. And they make these distinctions in error. It's, you know, to suggest that God's will is imperfect, that's not good. But that's what's happening in the church today. They say, well, you know, this isn't God's will, you know. So I did a little crack, no big deal. So I did a little sex, a little pornography, you know, a little, some strippers, you know. I did a little alcohol, I got drunk, and that's not, that, that you know, I'm a Christian, and once saved, always saved, and I'm in God's will. But that's not his perfect will. No, that's garbage. That's garbage. That's wrong. He says, by the will of God. Now, you look at Paul and you're like, Paul? This guy? Remember, he was a persecutor of Christians. This guy? Lord, for real? This guy? A persecutor of Christians, somebody who had them imprisoned, enslaved, and killed, and beaten. Women dragged away. Boys, girls dragged away because they believed in Jesus Christ. This guy? Turn with me really quick to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, we see this in verse 10. 
Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Beautiful, beautiful Ananias. I am insanely in love with this guy. I cannot wait to meet him. There's a good Ananias and there's a bad Ananias. The bad Ananias is the one who lied to the Holy Spirit with his wife. But this is the good Ananias. And to him, the Lord said, in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So notice this interaction is like a conversation. You see how beautiful this intimacy is? You know, a lot of times people don't think of intimacy with Jesus Christ in a manner of real intimacy, deep intimacy. Look at this interaction. Now remember, in, this isn't just an interaction between the Lord and, you know, uh, Joe Schmo. No disrespect to Ananias, you know, and the, but no disrespect to Ananias in any way, shape, or form, nor the Lord. But this isn't like, you know, you know, uh, 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 Ananias is a disciple. He's a student. His relationship with the Lord is, I want to say on point, but it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. The Lord says to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. You know what's so powerful about this? Is that, you know, the eyes of the Lord are on Saul. You know, this is pre-Paul, but this is the eyes of the Lord are on Saul. He's praying and the Lord knows it. The Lord sees it. Ananias doesn't see it. But Ananias in his intimacy with the Lord is speaking to the Lord. And the Lord is speaking. I mean, the Lord is speaking to him and he is speaking to the Lord. And the Lord is revealing in real time, Ananias, these things are happening. Now, in real time, the Lord is giving beautiful, beautiful Ananias instructions. And in a vision in verse 12, he has seen a man named Ananias. So look at what the Lord is doing. The Lord is establishing these connections, Ananias unto Saul, pre-Paul, and Saul, pre-Paul, unto Ananias. So in a vision, the Lord is making these divine interact these divine connections ananias you go to saul saul i'm i'm showing i'm showing you saul and for saul i'm showing him you ananias doesn't know saul he, he hasn't met him he's terrified of him because he's a persecutor of the saints he's terrified of him saul is terrified because of what is happening he's blind he can't see you see, remember the Damascus road? And yet look at what the Lord is doing, establishing these connections. And in a vision in verse 12, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered. And this is like, you know, really, Lord, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? Now, you know, look at what he says here in verse 13. This is what Ananias says, Lord. I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. See, and he says, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name, call on your name. Now, the Lord, you know, the, the Lord doesn't say, you know, Ananias, how dare you speak to me? How dare you say this? I am the sovereign God. And, you know, how dare you do this, Ananias? You can't say this to me. No, you, you don't see that. What you see is this beautiful intimacy. 
the Lord unto Ananias and Ananias unto the Lord. Saul, at this moment, the two haven't met. Ananias and Saul haven't met yet. But Saul is straight up terrified. The love that Ananias has for the Lord is something that Saul is going to learn in the course of time. This is baby Saul. Baby Saul, because he believes in Jesus Christ. Remember, is it hard to kick against the goats? You see, that's from verse 5. But, you know, if you're wondering about this particular passage, listen to our study from Acts chapter 9 and you'll understand the gospel presented to this Pharisee of Pharisees. And I speak of Saul, a student of Gamaliel. But you don't see the Lord chastising Ananias. In fact, what you do see is more comfort given to Ananias in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Unbeknownst to Saul, Saul is terrified right now in another place. He's blind, he can't see, and he's terrified of what is happening to him. Not understanding fully what is happening to him. But even Saul was in a state of blindness. And his blindness is going to be restored and in his restoration of sight having eyes to see not blind now look what has happens paul is exhorting the saints in ephesus among other saints and you and me today i say paul but remember paul is a vessel it's the lord using paul it's the lord inside of paul you see And so we see this, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, this is all unbeknownst to Saul. Saul is a baby Christian. He doesn't know. Ananias is terrified. Lord, are you sure? The Lord gives him instruction, you see. I want you to go to to Saul. Go inquire at this house of Judas. You see, and Ananias is like, whoa, whoa, like, Lord, are you sure? Because I've heard about this Saul and he's given the, you know, he's uh, has authority from the chief priests. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure you're not talking about maybe there's another Saul? Maybe in in, in this neighborhood, there's, you know, another house of Judas. Are you sure it's this one? Are you sure that's the right Judas? Are you sure that's the right Saul? And the Lord comforts him. It's okay, Ananias. It's okay. I'm, I want you to go there. Because this Saul is a chosen vessel of mine. Now, we can look at this and be like, okay, piece of cake. So the Lord gives him this reinsurance and he's going to go. He gives him this, this comfort and he's going to go. But put yourself in Ananias' shoes for a moment. Carnally speaking, if you're of the mind of the the intellectual, if you apply logic to everything, logic would tell you, don't you dare go to that house. Logic, intellect will tell you, don't you dare go to that house. Why? Because you're going to be dead. You're going to be killed. You're going to be imprisoned. That's what logic would tell you. If you apply logic, if you walk according to the flesh, That's what would happen. If Ananias walked according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, the flesh would tell him, don't you dare go to that neighborhood. Don't you dare go to that house. 
But the Lord, the Lord is telling him, go. Look at the the blueprints of Paul's life is given to Ananias before Paul even knows about it. <laughs> he's, my, he's a chosen man. He's going to go to the Gentiles. Look at what the Lord reveals to Ananias. Ananias is like on the forefront of this intel, so to speak. That the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. Ananias is in the know. He's getting these blueprints. Why? In his intimacy with the Lord. Just like we see Moses' intimacy with the Lord and the Lord giving him blueprints. Paul is going to receive blueprints in the course of time. But it's so powerful when we consider that Saul, a former persecutor of the church, and now we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This is that guy. No longer Saul. No longer Saul. He's Paul now. An apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. You see, what Ananias knew first, now Saul knows. Now Saul found out, and then he started being referred to as Paul. You see, by the will of God. Now, how did Paul know the will of God? Well, how do you, you know, Paul might have asked, Lord, what's the what's your will for my life? Don't forget, obedience, then wait. Not just wait, but wait on the Lord. Paul did it too. You see, a lot of times people get themselves in trouble because what's the Lord's will for my life? I think I think the Lord wants this for my life, so I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But really, you, you have to make this distinction. Is this the Lord or is this me? Is this the Lord's will for my life or is it my will for my life? You see, and that's the danger behind walking according to the flesh. Is this really the Lord's will for my life or is this my will for my life? Okay, y'all read my Bible. I'll pray and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do what a good Christian does. But I'm not going to do this. I don't want to go to that house of the house of Judas where, where Saul is because that's too dangerous. I don't want to go to this house. I don't even want to talk to Saul because, you know, he might imprison me. He might kill me. And I know the Lord said this to me in my in in the vision, you know, that he gave me. But I don't want to do that. I'm going to apply logic and intellect. You see? These are things that Ananias learned himself. These are things that Saul, pre-Paul, learned himself. And now Paul understands. Remember, Paul was in his infancy as a saint. In what we looked at Acts 9. But as Paul himself is moving on to perfection. By the will of God. You see. Paul might have had these questions in Acts 9. Lord what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? I know people want me to go to Jerusalem. And speak to this guy and this guy and this guy. The heavyweights in the church. But I'm going to go to Arabia. And Lord I want you to tell me. You see, and not not to be like you know, like you know, uh, presumptuous saying, "Lord, you will tell me." No, but sometimes you want to go straight to the source, straight to the source, and that source is Jesus Christ. He desires intimacy with you. 
Do you, do we, do us, do we desire that intimacy with him? Of course, counting the cost. Counting the cost. What is it that the Lord might tell you in your intimacy with him? Now, your flesh would think otherwise. Your flesh would say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, this and that. And my flesh would really like that. And so because my flesh really likes that, and we can candy coat it and say for whatever reason. Oh, yeah, I'm in obedience to the Lord because look, look at this. Look at that. And look, I read my Bible. I pray. I do all these things. And okay, I'm in the Lord's will. But look at Ananias. Look at Saul. Look at Priscilla, Aquila, Lydia. All these beautiful saints were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And in understanding these things, we can learn and understand. And now this saint, I speak of Paul, formerly a baby. And now he's matured. He has grown. And in his growth, he goes into Ephesus. And, and in the course of time, he goes into Ephesus, he leads Ephesus, and he exhorts the elders in Ephesus, the overseers in Ephesus, understanding the threat himself, him being on the receiving end of major persecutions. He was also a giver of persecutions in his law days as Saul. So he knows this very intimately. And now look, this very vessel that the Lord is using you see it. What the blueprints that the Lord revealed to Ananias, he is my vessel and he is going to the Gentiles. Well, we see him doing it right here. He says this, still in verse one, to the saints, the holy ones, the consecrated ones, to the saints. I don't care what the Pope says. The Pope, you know, in accordance to Roman Catholicism, there's a process for, you know, sainthood. Okay, is this guy going to be a saint? Is this lady going to be a saint? Let me tell you something. Roman Catholicism is unbiblical. They say, oh, yeah, it's Christianity. It's Christianity. That is unbiblical Christianity. It's not the Bible. Now, if you're Catholic, I love you. I love you. But I say this unto you, my beautiful friend. Come out of her, my people. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. And Paul says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now you, you say, wait a second, you're looking at verse 1. You say, okay, the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. You say, wait a second, aren't they one and the same? I mean, if, 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 if you're a saint, aren't you faithful in Christ? Aren't you faithful, meaning trustworthy and obedient to Jesus Christ? I thought it's, I, I, I thought it's, you know, it's, it's one and the same. If you're a saint, you're automatically faithful. But is it really? Remember the Corinthian letters? First Corinthians chapter one, two, three, four. Everybody's a saint. Everybody's a saint. First Corinthians one, two, three, four. And then boom, Paul drops the hammer. My vessel of the Lord. He says, okay, you guys are all saints. Everybody believes in Jesus Christ. But of those saints, there are some who are faithful and walking according to the Spirit. And then there are some who are carnal, unfaithful, and walking according to the flesh. And you see the fruit of that, which is the sex, the alcohol, the extortion, the revilers. And Paul says, okay, you who are faithful, separate from these. You see, a remnant. 
And of this remnant, they still are on the receiving end of chastisement because yes, they're walking according to the flesh, but there's the influence uh, uh, to the spirit, but there's the influence of the carnal nature. Do I praise you in this? I do not praise you in this. Do I praise you in that? I do not praise you in that. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians. If you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our study through 1 and 2 Corinthians. It will help you. It will help you grow and mature in Christ because the cost of being a baby is very, very dangerous and it could be devastating. And I say this to saints. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're, you're a brand new baby in Christ, you receive Jesus Christ today or within a month, praise be to the Lord. You're rightfully a baby. But if you've been a, a Christian for two months or two years or 20 years or 40 years and you're still on milk, that's not good. That's not good. It's dangerous. We need to move on to perfection. You see? He says this in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, in Christ. You see, I think this is so powerful because a lot of times, and sometimes, I, a lot of times, and I'll also say a lot of times according to the flesh. According to the flesh, we might have an idea, we might even utter in our mouths, through our mouths. I want my blessings to look like X, Y, Z. I want my blessings to look like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10. I want my blessings to look like this. And we even pray for it. Lord, can you bless me like this? Lord, bless me like this. But if you're in Christ, and I say in Christ, not in the law, remember our study in Galatians, if you're abiding in the law, you are not in Christ. If you are abiding in the law, what does Paul say? You are estranged from Christ. I'm talking about abiding in Christ. No period when the Lord says it. He says, abide in me. No period. And I in you. The depth of intimacy that the Lord desires. The question is, do you and me, do we desire it as well? in Christ, rather than have an idea of what you want your blessings to look like, oh, Lord, I want to be blessed. Can you give me a new house? Lord, I want to be blessed. Can you give me a new car? Lord, I want, an, I, I, I want this. I want that. I want this. Can you give me a mansion on the beach? I want to be in the Pacific Palisades. I want to, leave, I want to be in Boca. Lord, Lord, can you give me a high rise in Manhattan? I want to be blessed with, you know, a Lamborghini would be nice, but I'll settle for a Ferrari. I want to be blessed like this. I want to be blessed like this. But if you're in Christ Jesus, do you know what you have, my friend? My beautiful, beautiful brother, my beautiful, beautiful sister, do you know what you already have? Let's read verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. And that's what's so powerful if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, repent and abide in Christ. 
But if you're in Christ, need you pray for the Lamborghini? If you're in Christ, need you pray for the high-rise in Manhattan? Manhattan's even not that great anymore. Look at the politics. If you're in Christ, need you pray for the Boca, the mansion in Boca? If you're in Christ, understand, you are blessed, my friend. My beautiful, beautiful brother, my beautiful, beautiful sister, you are blessed if you're in Christ. You say, wait a second, I'm in Christ and I get this, you know, people punch me, they make fun of me, I'm in Christ and you know, I got me, you know, this happens and people make fun of me. If you're in a persecuted area, a place where there's major persecution of the saints, I'm in Christ and I walk out my door and it's a threat on my life. I can be beaten, I can be punched, I can be killed. Remember, they hated me first. Those are the words of our Lord and Savior and Master. And my question to you is this. Is a slave greater than his master? This place is not our home. Our Lord himself had no place to rest his head. Where do you rest your head? Where do you rest your head? Because if it's in this world, you're in trouble. Now, rest is in the Lord, but the ultimate rest will come when we put off this, the mortal. When we put off this corruption is what the Bible says. Our study in 1 Corinthians 15, listen to that. This place is not our home, it's fading. We're just sojourners. We're just passing by. Oh, but Lord, I want to be blessed like this. I want to be blessed like that. I want to be blessed like this. I want my blessings to look like this. I want my blessings to look like that. But wait a second. Are you in Christ? You say, yes, I'm abiding in Christ. Boom. You're already blessed. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice. Remember, comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, but I'm not blessed like this guy. I'm not blessed like this lady. I'm not blessed like this boy. I'm not blessed like this girl. I'm not blessed like this old lady. I'm not blessed like this old guy. How come I'm not blessed like this? Comparison is the thief of joy. You're abiding in Christ. You're already blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In verse 4, just as he chose us in him from before the foundation of the world. You see, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. You see, that we should be holy. I'll say that again. That we should be holy. The church today is in trouble. The church today is in trouble. Lukewarm. You're seeing more lukewarmness in the churches today. Church can be a very dangerous place in these last days. And remember, the Lord himself says, I wish you were hot or cold because you're lukewarm. I will vomit you out inside the body, but being expelled from the body outside of Christ, no longer in Christ, but now outside of Christ. That is the danger behind being lukewarm. That we should be holy. You see? 
And it's so powerful because we're not to use this verse as an excuse for sin. Okay, wait. So he chose us from the foundation of the world. So I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Not to use it as an excuse for sin. Should we sin more so that grace can abound? Absolutely not. Exclamation point. Certainly not. Exclamation point. Remember our study through Romans? Listen to our study through Romans. If you're listening for the first time and you haven't walked with us for a while. You see? You say, wait a second. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So we're already, we're, we're, we're good to go. We're already in Christ. Everything's fine and dandy. Well, wait a second. Remember, you know, he says, you 12 I have chosen, but one of you is a devil. You see? You, eklegomai, verse four. He, he chose us. He eklegomai. Yeah. A lot of times what happens is that Christians, we get this idea, well, you know, we're already chosen. So because we're chosen, we're already automatically predestined. We're all automatically predestined because he chose us. Some people are predestined for heaven. Some people are predestined for hell. And because I go to church, I'm good to go. I'm predestined for heaven. Boom. I'm, you know, my ticket is stamped. I'm good to go. But wait a second. Hold the phone there, my friend. Is that really what the Bible teaches? Remember, he says, you 12 I have chosen, but one of you is a devil. That's Judas. Indwelt by Satan. Only two people in the Bible indwelt by Satan. Satan himself. Judas is one. The next one is coming. The Antichrist. You 12 I have chosen, but one of you is a devil. You say, wait a second. That was that happened so that all the, that scripture could be fulfilled. Okay. But what scripture do you want fulfilled in your life? The ones that are to the obedient? You see? Obedience. Which is better than the fat of rams. He says in verse 4 that we should be holy and without blame. Which is amomos in the Greek. Amomos. Which is unblemished. Unblemished. Remember our study through Leviticus? Nothing mangy. Remember our study through Leviticus? A little bit in numbers, but a lot in Leviticus. Nothing mangy. That's you and me. Without blame. How does that happen? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice of you and me. <laughs> Remember our study through Leviticus? Present yourselves a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. You know, a lot of times we focus on the sacrifice of Jesus, which isn't a bad thing. It's beautiful. And yes, indeed, that is absolutely sacrifice. But somehow, we like to forget about the sacrifice of ourselves. The burnt offering. The drink offering. Remember our study through Leviticus? Aboda, aboda, mishkan. You see? Just like Paul, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. What? Paul, what are you talking about? Drink offering? You're talking about yourself like you're an offering? Bingo. Bingo. Without blame. I'm almost unblemished. Now, that's not to say we're going to be sinless. But we can sin less and less and less and less as we, you and me, move on to perfection. Without blame before him, 
in love, he says in verse 4, in love, which is the greatest gift. Don't forget the greatest gift. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest gift. And knowing in verse 4 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he says in verse 5, having predestined us. Having predestined us. Now, if you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, which is a theory. They call it Reformed theology, but I call it Reformed theory because it's a theory. And I don't say this to be abrasive to you if you're Calvinist or Reformed. I say this because I love you. It's a theory, but the theory does not hold water. Because among the Reformed, among the Calvinists, well, God predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. I love that we're in modern times in these days that which we live in today because everybody has smartphones everybody's got their smartphone and so you have your smartphone you're in a city you have no idea where you are but you know you want a slamming burger cheeseburger you know uh, crispy bacon avocado slices you just you want the best burger in town except you know your plane just landed and you have no idea where's the best burger in town so you bust out your smartphone, you say, you know, you type in there or now you just speak to it, you know, best burger in town. Boom, it pops up. You have no idea where it is, but it says it's like, you know, six city blocks. You figure, okay, you know what? I'm going to eat some calories. So in order to eat those calories, I'm going to burn some calories. So I'm going to walk the six city blocks. Probably got to walk more, but you know, you, you kind of trying to, you know, make things nice for you. I'll, I'll go ahead and walk the six city blocks. But how do I get there? How do I get there? I don't know where to turn left and right and all these things. So the your smartphone asks you, you know, do you need directions? You tap on the little thing, boom, give me directions. And then the voice starts to say, okay, turn left. And you just walk on your way. And then the voice pops up, boom, turn right. You got to turn right. What you've done, you just landed in a city. You have no idea where you are. I mean, you have an idea where you are, but you don't, have no, you don't know where the best burger joint is. So what you did is you predetermined your destination. Your The burger joint is predestined. The burger joint is predestined. But in order to get there, now your phone, you look at your smartphone, your smartphone might say, okay, you know, you'll be there in 20 minutes. And so if you start walking for 20 minutes, having not heeded the voice commands of turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, go straight, do a U-turn, go down this alley, do this sidewalk, do here. If you don't heed those instructions before when you predestined the burger joint and it said you're you know, just a 20-minute walk. And so you walk for 20 minutes having never heeded the voice commands. Do you think you're going to be at the burger joint? No. A fool would think they are. A fool would think so. Well, I looked at the phone. It said 20 minutes. And so I put my, I turned it off. I put it in my pocket and I walked for 20 minutes and I just see a gas station here. Hey, there's a library over here. There's a gas station over here. Where's the burger joint? I'm not at my destination. You see? But what happens when you predetermined your, the burger joint? You predestined the burger joint. You see? And you have your phone in your hand and you start walking. The voice pops up, turn left. So what do you do? You turn left. You know, look, look, for look both ways for traffic too. 
Then the voice says, okay, you know, take this alley. You go down the alley. Daytime, you know, it's a safe, safe city. Go down this alley, turn right here, take this sidewalk over here, go to this park. You're doing uh, walking, the, the walking route, not the driving route. Walk through this park. You turn left, you turn right. Go diagonal over here, you know, hop, skip, and a jump. 20 minutes. You've been walking for 20 minutes. But for those 20 minutes, you've been heeding all the voice commands. And then finally, 19 minutes and 40 seconds in, you hear the voice. Bing! says, your destination is right over here on the left. And what do you do? You walk in the doors and boom, give me the fattest hamburger you have on the menu. You predetermined. The hamburger, the cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburger, crispy bacon, avocado, sliced avocados. It's the best burger in town. It's the best burger in the state. It's the best burger in the country. It's, you know, quite possibly the best burger in the world. And you've finally arrived at that predetermined destination. Why? Because you heeded the voice. You heeded the commands. Listen to us. If you're Reformed or Calvinist, Listen to our study through first uh, uh, through uh, um, Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Romans 7 through 11. It will help you understand the Calvinistic teaching of predestination is wrong. The Reformed teaching on predestination is wrong. It doesn't align with Scripture. It aligns with John Calvin, but we'll save that for another day. It doesn't align with Scripture. And yet, we see in verse 4 that, yes, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, is every Christian you know, every saint you know, are they holy? Are they without blame? Look at the saints that you know in your life. Do you see holiness? Do you see unblemished among the saints that you know? So, well, how, how can that be achieved? Can that even be? Listen, when the Lord is done with you, you're going to be dead. When the Lord is done with us, we'll be dead. But we can move on to perfection. But somebody comes to Christ. They're a former uh, crackhead. They come to Christ and praise be to the Lord. But what happens? That crack is no longer going to be a vice. The sex is no longer going to be a vice. The drugs, the alcohol no longer be a vice. You're going to see that person move on to perfection. If they're faithful. If they're faithful. If they're walking according to the Spirit. If they're heeding the Spirit. If they're yielding to the Spirit. That's what you're going to see. Less car- You're going to see the carnal nature die in the course of time. But that's what you'll see. But then at the same time, what happens? You observe still saints, somebody who believes in Jesus Christ, but they're walking according to the flesh, walking according to the carnal nature. What are you going to see? You're going to see exactly that. Somebody who was on drugs, they believe in Jesus Christ and they're still on drugs. Somebody who was alcoholic and they believe in Jesus Christ and they're still alcoholic. 
Somebody who's a sex head doing the strippers and the pornography and, you know, they have a wife, but they also have, you know, side number one, two, three, four, five. That's what you're going to see. It's the works of the flesh. It's the carnal nature. That's the carnal nature. But they believe in Jesus Christ. They're saying, listen, even the demons believe. But do the demons obey Jesus? No way. Even the demons believe. You say, well, that's kind of that's kind of harsh the way you put it. You're right. It is harsh. But it's very real. Look at this. Remember 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4. Everybody's a saint. But then those who are walking according to the flesh, Paul says, separate from them. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. Of one, he says, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Of one, he says, commit him to Satan. You see? That's hardcore. That's harsh. I mean, if you're listening and you're following along in your Bible and you see, listen, that's what the Bible says. You say, well, that's too harsh. Absolutely, you're right. It is harsh. So we see this in verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons, translates as it's sonship, as children. I say that for my beautiful sisters. To adoption as sons, translates as children. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Remember, paid by blood. It costs you and me absolutely nothing. But it cost Jesus Christ his blood, his life. You see, he's sacrifice number one. But don't ever forget about sacrifice number two. And I speak of you and me. Being poured out as a drink offering. Being the burnt offering. Remember our study in Leviticus? I presented you with the challenge. If you've been walking with us for a while, remember the challenge that we presented you with? To start thinking of your life as an aroma unto the Lord. Now, what aroma do you want to present to him? Something beautiful? Or stench? You see? What type of aroma do you want to present to the Lord? Now, look at the Corinthian example. This separation... When, you know, you hear Paul say, okay, these are the ones who are walking according to the flesh. They're walking according to their lust, their carnal passions, the desires of the flesh and all things carnal. And Paul says, separate from them. That you not be, that, that the, they're 11 and, you know, the 11 leavens the bunch and you need to separate. So now you see this remnant. But there's also safety for those who were the, the leprosy, so to speak, who is now outside the camp, those who have been uh, separated from. Now there's safety for them. Now, I don't mean safety in Christ, but I mean safety because, because of this separation. Now, the stench that they presented to the Lord. If, you know, probably they didn't think of themselves as uh, an aroma to the Lord. But there was an aroma to the Lord, which was a stench. Now this separation, now they're arguably under the law. Now they have a choice to make. 
are they still going to resist the things of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? Are they still going to resist? Because if they do, now they potentially can be under the wrath of God. Remember our study through Romans 1? How the wrath of God falls on individuals? Yeah, okay. I'll, since I said it, we'll read it. Romans chapter 1. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. You say, how do they suppress the truth? Answer, unrighteousness. Romans 1 verse 18, that's the wrath of God upon individuals. So that separation, that leaven in Corinth, they're arguably under the law. Now, what happens if they refuse to hear the law? If they refuse to hear the tutor? Remember our study through Galatians? The law is a tutor. It's not made for the righteous. It is made for the flesh, the carnal nature. It was added because of trespass, remember? Now, a person who has been, who is now outside the camp of Corinth, the law would bring them back inside the camp if they hear the law. But if they refuse the law, boom, now comes the wrath of God on individuals. You say, that's too harsh. That's too harsh. I know it's harsh. I know it's harsh. But that's what the Bible teaches, my friend. I don't say this, you know, like, you know, if you do this, you're going to burn in hell. If you don't do this, you're going to burn in hell. But the Bible teaches there are some things that, you know, if we refuse, if we if we're if we're in the law, no longer in Christ, in the law and we refuse to hear the law. That's like straight up second death. Second death. Oh, I don't like that. That's too harsh. But it is harsh. You know, sometimes, you know, people always tell me, so not all the time, but sometimes, oh, that's too harsh. You know, I don't like how you say it like this. I don't like you to say it like now. What if we're driving? We're in Nebraska and we're driving west. We're in Nebraska and we're driving west. And I say, stop, hit the brakes. I scream as loud as I can. Stop, hit the brakes. We're going to fly into the ocean. We're going to go off the cliff. You know who would be crazy? I would be crazy. What are you talking about? We're in Nebraska and you're talking about driving over a cliff. But then what happens? We get into California. We're in California. We're like, you know, not even central California. We're like at the coast of California. We can see the ocean, but yet we're headed like, you know, on a dirt road and we're headed right for the cliff. And then I scream at the top of my lungs. I Stop, hit the brakes. We're going to fly over the cliff. You know who would be crazy? If you don't hit the brakes, you would be crazy. In Nebraska, I would be crazy. I might, you know, in Nebraska, I might, you know, it might be a little early. But I say, hey, slow down. There's a cliff, you know, a couple days, a couple days journey away. We're going to make some stops, nice restaurants. Get some eats. I would be crazy to scream at the top of my lungs in, the, in Nebraska. There's a cliff, stop. But when we get to, you know, Southern California, so we'll, say, say, we'll, we'll, we'll say Half Moon Bay. We're in the Half Moon Bay. And then you can see the cliff, beautiful, beautiful cliffs. You can see the ocean and we're on a dirt road and we're like, you know, a mile away from the cliff. 
And I started screaming, we're going, you know, uh, say 40 miles an hour. It's a dirt road. And I started screaming, hey, hit the brakes. But what happens when we're a quarter mile away? What happens when we're 500 yards away? What happens when I'm, when we are 50 yards away? And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, stop, hit the brakes. Who's crazy? I wouldn't be crazy. And that's what happens in the last days. People think we're in Nebraska. We're not in Nebraska anymore. People think we're in Kansas. We're not in Kansas anymore, my friend. Oh, he's so crazy. He's so crazy. We're in Nebraska. He's so crazy. He's so crazy. We're in Kansas. But we're not in Kansas anymore. Those days are over. Who's crazy? Oh, I don't like how you say this is too harsh. We're not in Kansas anymore. We have to understand these things. Now, I said things about, you know, if you're Reformed or Calvinist, I don't say this to to hurt you. I say this because I love you. I say this because, number one, we're not in Kansas anymore. But number two, we're like a mile away from the cliff. And I tell you this because I love you. Hit the brakes. And if the driver's not going to hit the brakes, I'll talk to everybody else. Hey, we got to jump out. What the Bible teaches about predestination. It's very important to have this understanding to see what the, just like the, the hamburger example. Think of the hamburger. When you think about predestination, think about that beautiful bacon cheeseburger, crispy bacon, not burnt, but just nice, nice, nice little crunch factor. Sliced avocados, the best burger. It's it's in the running for the best burger in the world. But we have to follow the instructions. We have to follow the directions. The predetermined destination, the predestination of that bacon cheeseburger. We got to follow the directions. Turn left, turn right, go down this alley, go down, walk through this park. You know, hop, skip and a jump the whole nine yards. Verse 5, he says this, having predestined us to adoptions, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see? I'm speechless at this. This is so beautiful. The most high. The creator of all things. The most high God. The sovereign God through Jesus Christ has adopted you as son, as daughter, according to the good pleasure of his will. (laughs) Do you see how beautiful that is? This predetermined destination to God, it happens by Jesus. Look at verse 5, having predestined us. But notice, By Jesus Christ. It happens by Jesus. Which means you and me, we have to follow his instructions. Turn left, turn right. Genesis to Revelation. The word became flesh. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This 
predetermined destination, this predestination unto sonship and as children. It happens by Jesus Christ, which means I want to know what the instructions say so that I can know where to turn left, where to turn right. I want to know. I want to know that for me, but I want to know it for you. You see, obedience unto him is required. Now we see this in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which, remember, his grace, God's grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. <laughs> Sometimes we think about, you know, God's grace. is Oh, yeah, just God's grace, you know. By his grace, you know, there's this. And by his grace, says that. And by his grace, but... Do we really understand sonship? You're, you're being a son or daughter of the Most High, which happens through Jesus Christ. And we listen to him. We obey him, obedience to the instructions that he gives in his word, Genesis to Revelation, understanding. And I say, remember the, the warning label that comes to the Torah, the warning label that comes to the writings of Moses, understanding that Moses wrote of Christ. We're accepted in Christ, in the beloved, by God's grace. That's a big deal. Now remember, this it's a process. We have to learn. To reckon the old man dead, there's learning that has to happen. To reckon the old woman dead, there's learning that has to happen. A teacher is needed, someone to say, like, look, this is what it looks like. Don't do the crack, don't do the drugs, don't do the alcohol, don't do the sex, don't do the pornography, don't do, don't do this, don't, don't be a tax cheat. A teacher is necessary. And there's this threat. The threat is always going to be there for saints. Look at the threat that came to Corinth. Look at the threat that came to Galatia. Look at the threat that is in Ephesus right now in our study. They need a teacher. Remember the defunct pastors and the defunct elders in Corinth? How many times did we say that? The defunctness of the state of the overseers in Corinth. In our study last week, the introduction to Ephesians, we looked at the threat of the overseers at the Miletus meeting, the threat of the Ephesian overseers of becoming defunct. And so the Holy Spirit, Paul, write a letter to the saints in Ephesus. Verse 7, remember this is in him, in him. Verse 7, in him. Very important. These are to the abiders in Jesus Christ. Remember verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. You say saints and faithful, one and the same. Is it really one, one and the same? Look at Corinth. All saints, but who are faithful? Paul makes a distinction. Okay, all saints, but these are saints who are walking according to the flesh. And it's not just they've been walking according to the flesh for a week, a month, you know, five months, which isn't good. Don't do that. But they're walking according to the flesh for one year, two years, three years. 
and three years their carnality was unaddressed by the overseers to say, hey, that's not good. Hey, don't have sex with your dad's wife. You know, that's kind of an easy one. But no overseer to say, hey, don't have sex. That was one of the problems in Corinth. There was there was somebody named the brother who was having sex. He, Paul, he, Paul was astonished himself. He says, it is actually reported that there is somebody who is having sex with his dad's wife. Now we hear that like, well, that's gross. That's disgusting. Bingo. Exactly. And for three years, there was no overseer to say, hey, that's not good. What in the world? You think that's a piece of cake? But yet it didn't happen. Look at the church today. Look at the state of the church today. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the pornography, the strippers, the gambling, all these, the whole nine yards. You think like, wow, that's kind of easy. But where are the overseers? You see? And it's so powerful when we understand that in him, it's a big deal. To be a saint is beautiful, yes. But much better is it to be a faithful saint. Unto the Lord. And that requires a teacher to show you, to teach you. Don't do the sex. Don't do the drugs. You know, don't have sex with your dad's wife. You say, well, okay, that, that's a piece of cake. I'm not going to do that. What happened in Corinth? It's happening today. But yet, you have the defunct elders just as you had in the defunctness in Corinth. And the threat of the overseers in Ephesus is that, you know, some of these overseers are going to be wolves. You see? Not all of them. But this wolf nature is going to grow inside the overseers. Remember when Paul says, after my departure, wolves, ravenous wolves will come in among you. Even among yourselves, you'll be ravenous wolves. He says, after my departure, Paul was a different animal. How many times did you hear us say that in our study in the book of Acts? He's not like the average bear, remember? But that was said for a reason. Because now we get into these epistles. And you see like, wow, what, what happened to the pastors in Corinth? What happened to the elders, the overseers in Corinth? Paul was a different animal. He's not like the average bear. What happened to the elders and pastors in Galatia? Paul's not like the average bear. He's not the average animal. Ephesians. Remember, he says, after my departure, these things will happen. This is what's going to happen among you. Let's put the church to us to the side, elders, overseers. Let's put the saints to the side. I'm speaking about you. Ravenous wolves will come in among you, and even you will become ravenous wolves. That's what's going to happen. After my departure, even the elders, even the overseers needed a teacher who's not like the average bear. And when the Lord, the, the, the spirit of our Lord through vessel Paul says in verse seven, in him, in verse seven, we have redemption through his blood in him. That's a big deal because Galatians, the Galatian saints, I mean, we, we just got done with the study of Galatians. They were not in Christ. They were, well, 
They were attempting to be justified by the law. And Paul says, do you not hear the law? Because abiding in the law means that a person is no longer in Christ. You see? And to understand, like verse 7 says here, in him, the only safety a person has, the only safety a soul can have, male, female, young, old, old lady, old guy, doesn't matter. It's only in Jesus Christ, only in him. Turn with me really quick to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, we see this in verse 37. The words of our Lord say this in John 6 verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. A biblical truth, absolutely a biblical truth, I will by no means cast out. For I have come, in verse 30, 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, Remember uh, Isaiah 14, the five I wills of Lucifer? I will, I will. What does our Lord say? Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Thy will. You see? I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus Christ in obedience to the Father. Our Father. I mean, if you're a Christian, if you're abiding in Christ, our Father. Now, if you're not in Christ, if you're an unbeliever, if you are an unbeliever and you're at this point and you're listening right now, I say unto you, be unbelieving no more. Receive Jesus Christ. Receive sonship unto the Father. Receive Daughtership, I don't know if that's a word, but if you're male or female, it doesn't matter. Receive adoption unto the Father, and that only comes through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You say, wait a second, I'm Buddhist. I'm Buddhist. I, I believe in Buddha. Now, no denying that there are other gods out there. But there's only one Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's only one Almighty. You see? Oh, I'm Catholic. I'm good to go. No, you're not. Come out of her, my people. And so we see this in verse 39. This is the will, <coughs> excuse me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has giving, given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up that should raise it up at the last day very interesting not to get off topic here but very interesting he doesn't say that I, you know i should lose nothing but should raise it up seven years prior to the last day i say this to my pre-tribulation friends i don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture i do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture listen to our study you might have to search for a while but listen to two studies one of them is um Jacob's trouble, biblically explained. And then the other one is, uh, when is the rapture? Listen to those two. The first one, Jacob. The second one being, uh, when is the rapture? Listen to those two and you'll understand more. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. He doesn't say in verse 39, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up 
uh, seven years prior to the day. No, he said raise it up at the last day. Now, according to pre-tribulation rapture theory, there are passages for unbelieving Israel, like in, 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 in Matthew 24, not to get too much off topic, but just in case you're wondering. Oh, this is, this is for Israel. This isn't for the saints because the saints have already been raptured. But if pre-tribulation is true, then you also have to include this verse in verse 39. Now, and not to get off topic, but listen to our study. in the, It's called the, 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 uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. And then the other one, when is the rapture? Very important. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture because you don't find it in the Bible. You find it in churches. You find it in seminaries. You find it in, you know, theology schools. You find it in university. You find it among pastors. You find it among elders. You find it in books. You find it in movies. You find it in Hollywood. But you don't find it in the Bible. He says, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son. Now, and believes in him. It's not just sees the Son. Now, it's very interesting because this word is uh, uh, theoreo in the Greek. Theoreo, which is to behold, to perceive, and to discern. In verse 40, this is John 6. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him. Remember, a couple weeks ago, I think we were in an Old Testament study through Deuteronomy. And then I gave the example, if I were a Pharisee, if I were a Pharisee, you know, to speak with Jesus Christ, you know, John the Baptist is saying he's the Messiah, but a Pharisee to speak to this guy who everybody is saying he's the Messiah and not quiz him, but just, you know, a Pharisee has a job to do. To feed and protect. But then at the same, I'm not speaking about, you know, the Pharisees that wanted to kill him. I'm speaking of like a, a Nicodemus type. Eh, Nicodemus had his issues, but a Nicodemus type nonetheless. To ask him questions. And all of a sudden, for the Lord, Son of the Most High, to start speaking and referring to Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Genesis, all these passages, and to come to the realization, oh my goodness, he's the Messiah. It's one thing to look at Jesus Christ, but it's quite different to behold, to perceive, to discern, and then to believe that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him in verse 40 may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day and notice not seven years prior I will raise him up at the last day now a lot of times if you're Calvinist and Reformed I love you I don't hate you in saying this but a lot of times the Calvinists and the Reformed they say you see look I will by no means cast out. That's what Jesus Christ says in verse 37. I will by no means cast out. They say, he said, look, I should lose nothing. Verse 39, I should lose nothing. These are absolute biblical truths. Absolute biblical truths. But it doesn't end there. To my Calvinist friends, to my Reformed theory friends, understand that there are biblical qualifiers. 
There are biblical qualifiers. I'll give you an example. Say you're a parent. You're a parent. And you're going to go away on a trip. And you say, hey, baby girl. Baby girl, I love you, baby girl. But I'm going to go away for a little bit. Baby girl loves you. You love baby girl. Baby girl, I'm going to go away for a little bit. I go, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be away preparing a place for you. So you leave. Baby girl's at home. But what happens when you're gone? You go to prepare a place for baby girl. What happens? You know what happens? The wolves come knocking. They come knocking. Baby girl answers the door. They're not dressed as wolves. They present themselves like messengers of righteousness. They present themselves as servants of righteousness. Hey, baby girl, how you doing? And unbeknownst to baby girl, she's being seduced into wickedness. Now, baby girl says, oh, you know what? You're a nice guy. I like you. You know, you you teach this righteousness. You speak on this righteousness. You you say that I should do the, the works of, I should observe the Sabbaths and the feasts and the years. I should do these things. And, you know, that aligns with what I was taught. So, you know, that, that aligns with what I was uh, taught. But I forgot that, you know, I'm supposed to look through the lens of the new covenant. You see? And all of a sudden, baby girl is swept away. Now you come back. You come back. You, you told baby girl, you know, I, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back. And you come back and baby girl's gone. Now, let me ask you a question. You're the parent. Did you cast her out? Did you cast her out? Absolutely not. Did you lose her? Absolutely not. You know what happened with baby girl? She was seduced and she walked away. You see, a lot of times the Calvinists, the reformers, reform theory, they say, oh, you see, once saved, always saved. Here, verse 37, I will by no means cast out. You see, we have eternal security in Christ. Oh, look, you know, verse 39, I should lose nothing. You know, so look, you know, there's... There's safety in Christ. Once saved, always saved. Everything's good to go. But in that example I gave where you go, you say, baby girl, I'm going to be gone for a little bit. I'm going to go prepare for a beautiful place, baby girl. All you got to do is just stay right here. Remember the things that I told you, baby girl. I'll be back. And in your absence, what happened? The wolves come knocking. How you doing, baby girl? Hey, you know, you believe in God, and so, you know, you, you let's start doing the, uh, let's start doing the Sabbath. You want to join me for the Sabbath? Come on, baby girl, let's do the Sabbath. Let's observe the feast. Let's do the Feast of Tabernacles. Come on, baby girl. You see, all of a sudden, the law, and in so doing, baby girl is walking away from the house because she's no longer abiding in the house where it's safe. Now, you didn't, you by no means cast her out. You by no means lost nothing. What happened? Baby girl walked away through seduction. That's what happened. The Calvinist, the Reformed Theory people, if that's you, I love you. 
But we have to have a biblical understanding of what is happening. In that example I gave you as a parent, you by no means cast her out. She left. In that example I gave, you by no means lost her. She left. Now, understanding this threat, you, you're, you're, you're out of town. You go to prepare a place for baby girl. And you've also been observing men. Not females. You've been observing men. And you look at a man. And you say, wow, you know, I've been watching you for all this time. And I want to, hey, can you, can you protect baby girl? I want you to protect baby girl. I'm going to put you in, I'm going to put you in service and I want you to protect baby girl. And so this man says, okay, yes, I will do that in obedience to you. And so he stands at post on the outside of the door. Remember how many times did you hear us say, you know, pastors, overseers are on the outside. Never on the inside, always on the outside. Now the wolf comes. Hey, I want to speak to baby girl. Not happening. Not happening. Get out. Leave. Oh, come on, look, I got all this candy for her. Let me talk to baby girl. Not happening. Leave. Then a more ravenous wolf comes. I want to give baby girl, you know, this, you know, look, I want to give her this, uh, 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 you know, this candy bar. I laced it with arsenic. The more ravenous wolf comes and wants to fight. Get out of my way. What this ravenous wolf doesn't know is that this person that you appointed is also dangerous. And he kills that wolf. That wolf is dead. A carcass. Not in, in, you know, the, the little wolves, get out of here. That's not happening. You're not going to give candy to baby girl. Get out of here. But the more ravenous wolf, now that ravenous wolf is a carcass on the, on the grass, on the outside, is a carcass. Because that ravenous wolf wanted to kill baby girl. Now you see a carcass on the grass. And you see another carcass on the grass, another carcass. Because whom you appointed to protect baby girl kills wolves. There's the little wolves, which is like, you know, get out of here, you know, go fly a kite. But the more ravenous wolves is protecting baby girl. Now, is baby girl going to walk away? No. Why? Because that person you called and appointed is teaching baby girl and is also feeding baby girl, tending baby girl, and protecting baby girl. Why? So when you come back, baby girl's not going to walk away because now she knows she has learned. And I say this to my Calvinist and Reformed friends because there's very, very common teaching. It's in accordance with Calvinism and Reformed theory. Now you understand why I call it a theory. Because that's all it is. The theory does not hold to biblical doctrine. And I say to you, just as I said to the Catholics, come out of her, my people. 
What's happening now among reform theory people is they're starting to teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It has no bearing on your salvation. What does the Bible say? You will have your share in hellfire damnation. That's what the Bible teaches if you take the mark of the beast. Now, if you're Calvinist and Reformed, listen to our study. It's You're going to have to search for a while because it's kind of old school. But listen to our study. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. Listen to that. I don't say these things to hurt you. There are people who love the Lord, who find themselves in these fellowships of the Calvinistic type, of the Reformed type. They love the Lord. But we must... Make sure that we're following the Lord of the Word. Oh, but the Word of the Lord, the Word of the Lord. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. But let's make sure we're following the Lord of the Word. Not the Lord, lowercase l. Not the Lord of seminary. Not the Lord of this teaching. Not the Lord of this guy. Not the Lord of this gal. The real Lord. Remember, it is prophesied there will be many Christs in the last days, lowercase z, many messiahs propagated by many false teachers, false pastors, false prophets in accordance to a false spirit, not of the Lord. Treacherous times. The Lord refers to it as perilous times for a reason. It will be perilous and it's growing even more perilous. We must abide in Christ, the real Christ. Not the fake Christ, lowercase c, that says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You see? Not the fake Christ that teaches, you know, uh, uh, let's call glitter the Holy Spirit. Let's go grave soaking. Let's teach replacement theology. That's a different gospel, a different spirit, a different Christ. Taught by, air quotes, ministers of righteousness. Air quotes, emphasis on air quotes. Ministers of righteousness. But what does the Bible say? They are servants of Satan. Servants of Satan. It's a trap to get you outside of Christ. Satan knows that you are safe in Jesus Christ. Satan knows that. And so what does he do? Hey, baby girl, let me give you some candy. Baby girl, come on, I got the best candy bar. Look, I got the finest candy bar from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on, baby girl. Satan knows that your safety is in that home. In Christ. And so he wants you to walk away. He wants you to, you know, hey, baby girl, come on. Let's go for a walk, baby girl. That's what he wants. Because he knows he's going to burn in hell. And he wants to drag baby girl with him. But the Lord, the Lord also knows that that's what Satan wants to do. And so what does he do? I want that guy to be a pastor. I'm going to take this guy and I want him to be a pastor. So that when the wolf comes, the little wolves, he'll just, you know, throw over the fence. But when the more ravenous wolves come, he's going to kill them. There's going to be carcasses on the grass. You say, well, that's so violent. What do you mean carcasses? And I speak metaphysically. I'm not saying, you know, false pastors come, false teachers come and you kill them. No, I'm not saying like that. 
metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking, kill the wolves. If you're a pastor, if you're an overseer, you kill the wolves. Because baby girl needs to be fed. She needs to be taught. She needs to be protected. And the Lord knows Satan wants to attack baby girl and he'll appoint pastors. The Lord will appoint pastors. And Satan knows that your only safety is in Christ. And so what does he want you to do? He wants you to leave that safety. He wants to he wants you to exit those doors. You see? He'll, he'll use the flesh, he'll use the carnal nature. He'll also use the Bible. Remember? And if you're abiding in the law, you have you are you are estranged from Christ. That's what Paul says to the saints in Galatia, to the believers in Galatia. And Paul says, "Don't do that. Don't do that because that that's what was happening." Satan doesn't want you safe in the house. You see? And Brother Peter, the Holy Spirit revealed to Brother Peter that judgment comes first in the house of God. You say, what is it? I thought you said there's safety in that house. Yes, there's safety in the Lord's house, but it must be in accordance to the Lord of the word. In accordance to the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word, everything must align. Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. Everything must align perfectly. That's where the safety is. Outside of that, that's where judgment begins. You say, I'm in the Lord's house. I'm in the Lord's house. And my pastor wants me to go grave soaking. Judgment will start there. Oh, I'm in the Lord's house. There's safety here. And my pastor worships Mary. That's where judgment begins. Oh, I'm safe. I'm in the Lord's house. Look, the fellowship, the saints, it's so beautiful. And, you know, uh, they say take the mark of the beast. It's okay. No big deal. It looks like a nightclub over here. The women dress like this. The guys are having sex like crazy. I mean, you know, guys and girls and, you know, maybe a little... You know, it's the world. There's a big cross there. And it looks like, you know, it says Christianity. There's a cross. They have Bibles. They have the hymns. They sing from the hymns. But if it doesn't align with the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, if there's no alignment, that's where judgment begins. You say, well, that's too harsh. How do you say that? How can you say that's too harsh? Listen, we're not in Kansas anymore. The cliff, we're approaching the cliff. We must understand these things, what the Bible teaches. Because there needs to be safety. And that only comes in Christ. And that's why Paul, in Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, in him, <laughs> in him, remember, just like Moses is reminding the the the, the uh, Israel, Moses is reminding Israel before they go into the Promised Land. Listen to our study through the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, which just so happens that we're there now. But Moses is telling them, "Look, when you get to the Promised Land, remember these things. Remember, 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 remember. Don't forget. 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 What happens? They forget. But the apostles." These messengers, Paul is one, Peter is one, James is one, John is one, Jude is another, James is another. 
These apostles say the exact same thing. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, 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 remember. Why? Because we forget. Look at the, the danger that came to Corinth outside of Christ. You see? Corinth, the Corinthian saints, oh yeah, they were saints, they believed in Jesus Christ, but okay, this is walking according to the flesh. With the, the sex, the drugs, the extortion, all these works of the flesh for three years, uncorrected by the so-called overseers, so-called pastors, the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. And remember the, you know, sidestep, remember we studied that? We, we studied it in Leviticus too. Sidestep, 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 boom, fall. That's what happens walking according to the flesh. It's sidestep. If you take a sidestep, if you're on a narrow road, right smack dab in the middle of the narrow road, one sidestep left. Well, you know what needs to happen? One sidestep right to get right smack dab in the middle. Satan knows that and he doesn't want that to happen. So he'll be on the left side and he'll seduce baby girl. Hey, baby girl, come on. I got some candy, got some nice chocolates for you. Got this, you know, that's Italian chocolates, you know. It's beautiful. It's so delicious. Baby girl sidestep left. Now, Satan doesn't want baby girl to know that she needs to sidestep right to be right smack dab in the middle. He's kind of smiling. I got baby girl and, you know, sidestep left. Now I'm going to come back. You know, hey, baby girl, look, you got this nice chocolate, more chocolate, more candy, more this, more, more goodies, more this, more that. Baby girl, sidestep left. Sidestep left. Sidestep left. Sidestep left. Sidestep. She's been seduced. She's That's what happens. Seduction. And see, it's not like, you know, you know, pitchfork, you know, and a tail and the horns. It's not that. That's what, the, that's what Hollywood presents as Satan. What does Satan do? He presents himself as an angel of light. So what baby girl sees with her eyes, wow, look, this angel of light. Wow, look, you know, I serve the father of lights. And so there's this angel of light. And so, wow, look, everything aligns. And look, the Lord is directing me. Sidestep left. You know, the Lord is directing me to get the candy. The Lord is directing me over here. But the spirit of our Lord will never, ever, ever steer a person away from the, the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word. Never. A satanic evil spirit will. Baby girl, because she's been untrained. She has a defunct pastor. She's been lending ear to the defunct. Oh, that's no big deal. Look, baby girl, we're still in Kansas. No big deal. Look, eat, drink, and be merry. Boom, sudden destruction. That's the threat of the saints in Ephesus, and that's the threat on the saints today. That's the threat upon you and me. If we remain without understanding, and I say, don't be that way. Move on to perfection. Don't be without understanding. Say to understanding, you are my nearest kin. In him, verse 7. In him. That's a big deal. That's not outside of him. That's not abiding in the law. That's not abiding in the flesh, listening to the flesh, yielding to the flesh, walking in accordance to the flesh. That's in Him, walking according to the Spirit. And when you're in Christ, 
not outside of Christ. When you are in Christ, verse 7, Ephesians 1, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace, which he made, which he made to abound toward us. Translate says, exceedingly unto us, exceedingly into us, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. All wisdom and understanding or mental acuity. Now, let me ask you a question. This is going to be hardcore. And I love you. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to hurt your little feelers. But I have a question to ask you. When you look at Christians, when you look at saints, maybe when you look at yourself, do you see wisdom and prudence? Do you see wisdom and understanding? And not just wisdom and understanding or wisdom and prudence, all wisdom and, and prudence. Do you see that? That's a hardcore question. More hardcore is the answer. If you say no, if you look at the church, if you look at Christians, and even when you look at yourself, if you do not see wisdom and prudence or wisdom and understanding or wisdom and mental acuity, all wisdom, if you don't see that, you need a teacher to teach you and show you the way. Because remember in verse 8, he made this, which he made to abound toward us exceedingly into us in all wisdom and prudence. And when you look at the church and you don't see that, I mean, you look at some, you can look at the church. Say you're, you walk into a church and you know what to look for. You walk into a church. Say, man, this looks like a nightclub. The ladies dress like this. The guys behave like this. And maybe you have a 20 minute sermon. There's this and this. And wow. You know what you don't see? Wisdom and prudence. And since in verse 8, it reveals that he made that. What also does that show you? Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? And I submit to you that that pastor, those elders, whoever, are of the defunct class. You need somebody like a, a Paul, a Peter, you see, a John, a Titus, a Timothy. Find men such as this. Find teachers such as this. Because they help you. They care for your soul. But when you look at the church today, and I don't say this to be offensive, but I just call it like it is. I don't see wisdom. I don't see prudence. But these things must happen. It's one of many signs of the last days. An apostate church. You see? An apostate church. 
Baby girl, in that example I gave earlier when we were in John, the example I gave earlier, baby girl has been seduced. She's walked away. And she says, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. No, her safety was where she was. Her safety was in that house. You see? These are things that we're going to have to deal with. The last day's generation, I mean, every generation has to deal with it. But it's more potent to the last day's generation. Why? Because these theories can really cost. They'll really cost you. We must align ourselves to the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word and his spirit. And speaking in verse 8, when he made these things wisdom and prudence to abound toward us, in verse 9, having made known to us. Remember verse 7, this is in him. This isn't in the law. This isn't, you know, like the Galatian saints who were being seduced into the law. This isn't, you know, abiding in the flesh. This is abiding in Christ. Those, remember verse 1, saints and, and, and faithful. And verse 9, having made known, known to us the mystery of his will few understand his will the lord says his will verse 7 in uh, uh, john 6 the lord reveals his will paul knows his will i mean he says in verse 1 by the will of god paul knows his will and you say i don't know the will of god i don't know the will of god but i'll give you the answer right here right now i already gave it to you but i'm going to give it to you again obey jesus christ the real jesus Obey him. And then wait upon him. Wait for him. Because he will instruct you. Say, well, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. Okay. That's a that's a, a noble desire. That's a beautiful desire. And if that's what the Lord wants for you, he will give you the green light. He will tell you. But he's not telling me I've been waiting for 20 years. Okay, wait longer. If that's what you want. But ask yourself a question. Is, is this what the Lord wants? You see? Maybe the Lord wants something different for you. Let not many be teachers. That's what the Bible teaches. Let not many be teachers because it's a stricter account. You know, you hear me talk about in that example I gave in John with, you know, baby girl. And, you know, you make a phone call and you appoint this guy. Somebody you've been observing for years and decades and you appoint this guy. I want this guy to be an overseer for baby girl to, be, to keep baby girl safe. Who kills wolves. And the ravenous wolf comes and the ravenous wolves are carcass. A ravenous wolf, a ravenous carcass. Because that overseer takes names. Let not many desire to be such. Because the cost is heavy. The cost is heavy. Satan knows who they are. The cost is heavy. But yet, having made known to us the mystery of his will, in verse 7, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that, in verse 10, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, I love this so much because a lot of brainiacs, they like to speak of the dispensation. It just means the economy. People apply it to a certain time period. Oh, I don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts. That was for another dispensation. 
or I'm a dispensationalist. And so there's certain time periods and the Lord did different things in different time periods. And in this dispensation, he did this and this dispensation, he did that. And that. But the, what does the Bible say? The Lord never changes. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. But you know what else is written? It is also written. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. What does Malachi reveal? I never change to save the Lord. He never changes. There's no expiration date on, on the power of the Holy Spirit. People come up with that to make excuses for their own carnal nature and for their powerless lives. Oh, you see this in the book of Acts, but you don't see this in my life. Therefore, that was for another dispensation. No, therefore, you are carnal, biblically. Oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore because, look, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. And look, I don't see that in my life. Therefore, that was for this dispensation. 2,000 years ago, it was for the early church. It's not for today because it's not in my life. That They come up with excuses. You know what the biblical answer is? No, you are still carnal. You're still carnal. How can the Holy Spirit work in you when you refuse to yield to him? You see? But yet the Bible teaches about this dispensation in verse 10 of the fullness of the times or the completeness of the times he might gather together in one. Notice, just like in John 6, not seven years prior. You see, for my pre-tribulation friends, I love you, but I don't teach pre-tribulation rapture. It's just a theory. You won't find it in the Bible, but you'll find it in Hollywood. You'll find it in books. You'll find it in seminary. You'll find it in Bible college. You'll find it among pastors. You'll find it among elders. But you won't find it in the Bible. That he might together in one. Not seven years prior over here and this other bunch over here and not... You know, does that mean that there's two raptures? If you listen to our study through the time of Jacob's trouble or Jacob's trouble biblically explained, you know, does that mean there's one rapture, two raptures, three raptures, or four raptures? Would you just look at the scriptures? No. He might gather together in one, not separate groups, one gathering. All things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him. Remember the blueprints. In him. Remember verse the very beginning of verse 7. In him. In the very end of verse 10. In him. The blueprints in Christ. Baby girl, that example I gave in, in, in John 6. Baby girl's safety is in the house. Baby girl must stay in that house. That's where her safety is. On the outside are where the wolves are. On the outside is where the danger is. Safety for baby girl is in that house. On the outside is where the wolves are, where the danger is. But you know what's else on the what, what else is on the outside? The pastors. The wolf slayers, the wolf killers. Ravenous wolves, ravenous carcass. In him. Blueprints. Verse 11, more blueprints. In him, not in the law, not in the things of the flesh. Remember Corinth? The, the guy who believed in Jesus Christ, but he, he was having sex with his dad's wife. 
sexual relations with his dad's wife. Paul even says, there is, it is actually reported that from among you, he says these things aren't even named among the Gentiles. Not even the non-believers do this. I mean, have you ever like read a news article or like you catch wind of something that's happening in a fellowship and you're like, oh my goodness, like I've been in the, the doldrums of the so-called doldrums of society. You know, I've, I've been in like, you know, the, the streets and these guys don't even do that. And yet that's happening among Christians. That's what Paul was like. That was Corinth. He's like, the, not even the Corinthians do this. And yet you guys are doing this. Oh, but once saved, always saved. We're good to go. Look, we're God's elect. So therefore we can do these things. No, in him, in Christ. Not in the flesh. In Christ. We're in the flesh, you know. We're in these earth suits. But we're not of this world. We have to move on to perfection. Now, I say we have to move on to perfection because, yes, we have to move on to perfection. But you have a choice to make. I can't mandate that for you. I mean, I can tell you, like, look, let's move on to perfection. But you have a choice. You have to reckon the old man dead. You have to reckon the old woman dead. I do too, but for sake of argument, I'm speaking about you. <laughs> I got to do this too. If I didn't do this, you know, that would be hypocrisy, which isn't good. Never follow the hypocrite. Hypocrites cannot be pastors. Those, the John 6 example, the you know, the, the guy who's on the outside protecting baby girl, can never be a hypocrite because hypocrisy is step number one in turning into a wolf. Then the one who's to protect baby girl is the same one who will kill baby girl through hypocrisy. Baby girl needs to be safe. Baby girl needs to be safe. Why? Because you went to prepare a place for her and you're going to come back and pick her up and take her to the place that you've prepared. That's what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm, I speak parabically, you could say. But yet, everything must align with Scripture. And I only say this to help you understand because people have a unbiblical understanding of John 6 when you know when people say oh look you know in John 6 verse 37 I will but Jesus Christ will by no means cast out Jesus Christ will lose nothing in that example I gave baby girl walked away you didn't cast her out you didn't lose her she's lost but not of your doing she was seduced you see very important. The formula, the formula must be right. It must, the formula must align with scripture. You see, these are things that we're going to have to deal with in the last days as we get further to that cliff. We're not in Kansas anymore where there was relative safety. We're not in Kansas we're like straight up very close to that cliff. In Kansas, if I were to shout, you'd say like, man, you know, you're crazy. And, you know, depending on what I was saying, there could be a little bit of craziness there. But since we're not in Kansas anymore, and we're right on the edge of the cliff, right into where you're getting closer, we can see the ocean, we can even see the very precipice of the cliff. And I'm shouting. Who's the crazy one? 
Who's going to hit the brakes? And if nobody hits the brakes, who's going to jump out? You see, these are things that you and me, we have to deal with. He says in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Remember our study through Galatians 3, heirs by faith, being predestined. Remember the biblical understanding of predestination. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand more. Remember the cheeseburger, baking cheeseburger. You got to follow the instructions, the directions. Being the predetermined destination, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is his will? Obey him. What else is his will? Well, wait. <laughs> He'll tell you. Just like he told, and he, when I don't know how long Ananias was a believer, but Jesus Christ, you know, 32 AD, give or take a couple years, you see, and then Ananias, you say like Ananias in 54, 20, Ananias might have been a Christian for 20 years, 10 years, five years, five months. I would say a little bit longer, probably more mature because of that intimacy that he has with the Lord. You see? And the Lord revealed his will to Ananias. The will for another, for Saul at the time, who was to be Paul. And this, he says this in verse 12, Ephesians 1, that we, this is, you know, abiding in Christ, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Look how powerful this is. That we who first trusted, which translates in the Greek as hope in advance, to hope in advance. Like hope today for something tomorrow. To hope in advance. Remember our study. It just so happens we study this in Deuteronomy 11. It just so happens we study this on Wednesday. The beauty of the law. The law is still holy. I'm not advocating the law or saying let's abide in the law. But to see the beauty of the law, which is still holy. The beauty of this tutor, which brings to Christ. You learn to trust and it gives this hope. And that's what Paul, we who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. Translates as exist to the praise of his glory. This is the Christian existence. You say, wait a second, I want to be blessed with a, a mansion. I want to live in Boca. I want a Lamborghini. Okay, Lord, I, 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 that's a little too carnal. I'll settle for, you know, a, a Ferrari. No, that's, that's not a good heart, my friend. And I say this not to hurt you. But that's not a good heart. Because remember verse 3. In Christ... You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It doesn't matter. You can live in a cardboard box. Casas de carton. You can live in a shack. A tin roof. Which in Christ is better than Boca. 
You could have a rusty old bike, which is in Christ better than the Ferrari. You see? He says in verse 12, should be to the praise of his glory or exist to the praise of his glory. How many people, do, among the saints, how many people do you know? You can talk about the Lord for five minutes. If you have fellowship with another person, male, female, it doesn't matter because remember in Christ, there's no male, female. And I speak among the of the crucified. How many people do you know that you can talk about Jesus for five minutes? Probably a lot. What about 20 minutes? Probably a lot, but less than the five-minute ones. But then how many can you speak to the your beautiful fellowship for five hours? Much fewer. What about 10 hours? Much fewer. What about all day, into the night, and not just into the night, well into the night to the next morning, just like Paul did in that little beautiful meeting that they that we studied in Acts 20, remember? The guy fell out of the window, he fell asleep. Everybody's fault, not everybody, but he fell, he was sitting in a window and he fell asleep and he fell out the window, remember? I don't mean to laugh because he lived, but. How many people do you know that you can have that kind of fellowship with? Who exist to the praise of his glory as is written in verse 12. There's not a lot. Not a lot. In verse 13, in him, again, remember, the blueprints must be right. This safety, remember what we studied, what we looked at in John 6 in this example I gave, the, the, the safety of baby girl which is in this house. That It's not like any house. That house is carefully instructed according to the blueprints of very holy blueprints. Not styrofoam, styrofoam frame. Styrofoam. <laughs> not that. These have a solid foundation. Solid framework. The storms are going to come and baby girl will be safe. The storm, the tornado, the hurricane, the earthquake, everything will come and all these houses will fall except baby girl's house. Why? Because it is carefully built, constructed according to holy blueprints. See? In him, in verse 13, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. You see? After you, remember, faith, Romans 10, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in him, in verse 12, that we who first trusted. Now, the ones who first trusted, just like Paul, who is now a messenger. Remember verse 1, he's no longer a student. He's a messenger now by the will of God. And now, knowing that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, those hearers with ears to hear, not carnal ears, spiritual ears and eyes to see, walking according to the Spirit, walking by faith, the same faith by which we are heirs of Abraham according to promise, not according to the law. The law is the additive. And now these hearers of this 
holy message in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Now, truth is being defamed a lot today. People say, oh, this is your truth. This is your truth. But if that truth doesn't align with the Bible, that's not truth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There are churches. Oh, yeah, we teach truth. There are churches who even have truth in their name. But if it fails to align with Holy Scripture, it is poison. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, believed entrance through the door. Entrance through the door. Let's look at John 6 again. Let's go back to John 6. So John 6 says this in verse 40, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. So this word to see, which is theoreo, which is to behold, perceive, and discern. You say, okay, everybody, person who sees Jesus Christ, okay, good to go. But it's much deeper than that, my friend. My beautiful, beautiful friend in whom I love. It's much deeper than that. Look at verse 36 now, still in John 6. Look at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me. Now this word for seen is different from verse 40. This word from in verse 36 is horao in the Greek. Horao, which is to stare. To stare. Much different. But I said to you that you who have seen me, in verse 36... But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You see? So from the outside, you see, two people, both are looking at Jesus Christ. Both see a man, you know, clothed, that has the robe, the beard, not with any, you know, uh, outward appearance that is no, no pleasantries. It's not like, you know, Mr. GQ. That's what the Bible says. I'm not mocking him, but that's what the Bible says. Both see him. Except one, theoreho, uses, can see him in a theoreo sense, but yet the other sees him in a horao sense. One just stare, okay, here's a guy, beard, robe, sandals. That's nice. Both are at the door. Both see him. One says, okay, guy with the beard, sandals, the robe, okay, he says these things, okay. He's at the door. But he doesn't enter the door. He's at the door, but he doesn't enter the door. The other guy in verse 40, that everyone who sees the son, theoreo, which is to behold, perceive, and discern, and believes in him may have everlasting life. That person sees the Lord, and unlike the other guy, enters in. He is Lord. I see the beard. I see the robe. But I hear what he says. And I perceive. I behold. I discern. He is the son of the most high God. And now I want to abide in him. I enter the door. Both are at the door. One doesn't enter. The other enters. 
You see? Very interesting. Just like it just so happens we discussed this on Wednesday. The law which gave that hope, trusting in the law, but not in the law for salvation, but in the law because of what it produces leading a person to Christ for both Mark and the lawyer, the, the legal guy. They were both brought to Jesus. Except the legal guy, Horao, he saw, but he didn't enter. For Mark, he saw, he didn't horao, he theoreo. He beheld, he perceived, and he discerned, this is the Son of the Most High, this is the Messiah, and I will worship him. You see? And for Mark, he was safe because he entered the door into the house where it is safe with baby girl in my example. Nice and safe. Not built with human hands and holy blueprints. The storms come, no big deal. The hurricane comes, no big deal. That house is going to stand strong because it's built on the rock, a firm foundation. It's not built on the sand. The storm comes everywhere else and it blows every single house down. You see? Remember the, the question that I posed earlier? Kind of a hardcore question. But when you look at the church, when you look in Christian homes, when you look at saints, do you see wisdom and prudence? No. Sometimes, very rarely will you find that. Sometimes you, you see a lot of foolishness. You see a lot of carnality. In some cases, you see a lot of wickedness. Those are homes that will fall. You see? Oh, Satan is oppressing me. That's Satan attacking me. That's Satan. No, I don't want to, you know, no sympathy for the devil. But sometimes people say, oh, yes, yeah, Satan's a, I'm under attack. Can you pray for me? Well, what's going on, brother? What's going on, sister? Well, you know, there's this, there's that, there's this. And I did a little crack and my friend came from Chiapas and he says he's got the finest crack. And, you know, I did some crack and did drugs. You know, we did, so the set went to the strip clubs, went gambling, went to the casino, did all these things. It's like, man, he's like, that's, that's. That's you, man. That's you, brother. That's you, my friend. You see? I mean, you, we can call it an attack. We can call it, but it's self-inflicted. I don't know if you want to call that an attack, but it's self-inflicted. But it cost you. You're hurting now. You're reaping what you have sown. But I meant... I see Satan's influence on bringing those things like, you know, the casino in a community, the strippers in a community and, you know, the, 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 the crack. And I can see his handiwork there. But to be a partaker in that, that's you. That's self-inflicted. You see. But what the Lord makes. The safety in his house. The wisdom and prudence, the all wisdom and prudence, which abounds, which he made in verse 8. This is what happens when you abide in Christ. Not in the law, not in the flesh, not in the works of the flesh, not in the world. But I'm talking about straight up in Christ. Oh, but Lord, I want, 
I want the Ferrari. I want the mansion. I want Boca. No. You need different eyes. You need different ears. Because in Christ, you're already blessed in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see? Verse 3. I mean, I reference verse 3. Now let's look at verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel in, of, of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, when, when we see here in verse 13, in whom also having believed, this is entry through the door. You see? Entry through the door. The same what we looked at in, in John chapter 6, the theoreo and horao. In both examples, both come to Christ. Just like Mark and the, the, the legal guy, uh, an expert in the law of Moses. Both come to the door, but one enters. And for those who are in Christ, those are the ones who have entered Fidelity unto Christ. Remember the Corinthian saints. How Paul refers to them as saints in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4. But then he makes another distinction in chapter 5. Boom. Separate from these people because they're still carnal. It's not carnality for a month or five months. It's carnality for three years which has been unaddressed by the overseers. I'm doing my air quotes. So-called overseers. Pastors. The pastor should have said, that's an easy one. Hey, don't have sex with your dad's wife. That's kind of easy. But Paul says, okay. Remnant, separate from them. Look at what happens here in verse 13. In whom also having believed, so they entered through the door, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now remember, if you remember our study through Acts, remember uh, Simon, the Holy Spirit bypassed him? Remember the body of believers who had not yet had the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit doesn't just seal anyone. Which now we make this distinction. The danger of the flesh, the danger of the carnal nature. Remember, the threat within, the threat without. The threat inside the church, the threat outside the church. But now deeper within, the threat inside the heart, inside the mind. These are things which our Father knows. He knows. The Spirit knows. No, Jesus Christ knows. Elohim, the triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He knows. You can fake it with man. You can't fake it with the Lord. Oh, I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to speak in tongues. Look, I go to this church. We have 500 people in this church, you know, and 500 people speak in, tongue, in tongues. That's not the formula. Look, my little baby, she's two months old and she's speaking in tongues. That's not tongue. Come on. That's baby talk. Listen to our, if you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness, he, he's railing against Catholics, he's railing against the Calvinists, the Reformed, now he's speaking against the Charismatic and Pentecostals? No. Remember, we're not in Kansas anymore, my friend. I love you. We're not in Kansas anymore. Let's be straight up. Let us 
Come and let us reason together. What does the word say? Now, if you're charismatic or Pentecostal, I love you. But listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand more about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those who have entered the door, the theoreo, not the horao, the theoreo. Those who have entered the door, not like the legal expert, but like Mark. Entering through the door, the end of verse 13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, there is eternal security. People say, oh, yeah, you, you teach that salvation can be lost. You teach against once saved, always saved. I teach against once saved, always saved because it's unbiblical. Unbiblical. Remember, names can go in the book of life and names can come out of the book of life. What does that say right there? Now, since we're like, wait a second, so does that mean we have to be afraid of everything? Well, you know, Paul says, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But there is eternal security. There is a seal of the Holy Spirit. But that seal doesn't just come on anybody. You see? The Holy Spirit skips individuals. The Holy Spirit skips people. Because he knows. Oh, but I believe in Jesus Christ. I love the Lord. Okay. But I also love my crack. I also love my pornography. I also love my strippers. I also love, you know, I got my wife, but I also got, you know, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I also love being a text cheat. I also love my riches. I also love my whiskey. I also love my gym beam. I also love this. I also love that. If that's the case, then Jesus Christ is not preeminent. He's, he might be prominent, but he's not preeminent. And the Lord knows this. There's a lot of Christians who are in trouble today without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the seal of the Holy Spirit. And I know that's shocking to many. And I don't say this to say like, ha ha ha, you're going to burn in hell. No, I'm not a Calvinist. I say this because I want you cleansed. I want you clean. And I want to clean you, but not with carnal hands. Through the word. Let us be clean. Let us be cleansed. Yielding to the Lord, yielding to Jesus Christ in accordance to his spirit, yielding to him, not another Jesus, not another spirit, not another gospel, not a minister of Satan, the real Jesus. You see, people say, oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. No. You don't see that in the Bible. There's no expiration date on the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Show me a person who says, all oh, the gifts, the power of the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. So show me such a person and I will show you carnality. The carnal nature. Why do you not see the power of the Holy Spirit in that person's life? Just look at the fruit. The sex. 
the drugs, the alcohol, the text cheat, the little white lies, the Ouija boards, the occult, the false doctrines. You see, you're not going to see the power of the Holy Spirit in that life. Why? Because that person is not yielding to the Spirit. Oh, but I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look, the Bible says this. Yes, absolutely, the Bible says this. It is a biblical truth. But there are biblical qualifiers. Notice in verse 14 about this sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise. In verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until redemption of the purchased possession. You see? Which is, this gathering happens in 1, verse 10. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You see, that's us. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's you and me. Saints. Faithful saints. You see, faith without works is dead. And I'm not speaking of, but so many people... People say, oh, works-based salvation. You got to get 10 converts today and 100 converts in a month and all these. No, that's that's works-based. We're not saved by those kinds of works of the flesh of, you know, like that type. When I say of the flesh, I mean of that type. But when Brother James speaks about faith and works, he, he indicates, he points to Abraham and Isaac. But when you read the passage in Genesis, pre-law, mind you, you see 100% obedience to the Lord. You see works too. I mean, you see actually, you know, they they go to the mountain, they everything, you know, tie the tying, the, the, the wood, the, everything's gathered, collect. You see works. But it's in obedience to the direction, the leading of the Lord. 100% obedience. And that's what Brother James writes about. Faith without obedience or belief without obedience. I mean, when you read the text in context and codex, and when you read it in the Greek, and you look at Old Testament, and you read it in the Hebrew, you know what it is? Belief without obedience is dead. You see? Because even the demons believe. But do they obey Jesus Christ? No. Even we believe. But do we believe Jesus Christ? Do we obey Jesus Christ? Some might say no. Some might say yes. Behold the remnant. You see? Now, I'm not trying to say, you know, we're going to be sinless. You're still going to sin. But let it be less and less and less and less as we move on to perfection. Remember, Jesus Christ says, go and sin no more. In closing, we see this in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, beautiful, beautiful fellowship in Ephesus. Do not cease. This is Paul speaking now. Saying of himself, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Remember, he's an overseer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. Notice what he gives. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling that are the that are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe you see and this happens when one moves on to maturity and grows and understands growing in Christ, laying aside those things which so easily ensnare us, moving on to perfection, sinning less and less and less and less and less, moving on to perfection, you say, wow, I'm sinning no more. You know what? You know what else is going to happen when you say that? You're going to be dead. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But yet we move on to perfection. Look at how beautiful this is. It's not only like in verse 3, that if you're in Christ, in Christ, I have to emphasize, in Christ, in the house built with holy blueprints, which is very specific in accordance to the word of God. Not blueprints that permit grave soaking. Not blueprints that say, go take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Not blueprints that say, replacement theology. Not blueprints that teach the money preachers. A very holy, holy instructions where there is safety. Where baby girl is kept nice and safe because in the example I gave in John 8, you went to prepare a place and you're coming back to receive her. You see? You made some phone calls while you were away. You made some phone calls and you appointed men, not women, men. The wolves come, they throw wolves over the fence. Another wolf comes, the ravenous wolf comes, you see the ravenous carcass. Because they kill wolves, metaphysically. They kill wolves in accordance to the word of God. You come back. Those overseers bow. And baby girl's nice and safe. Just like you left her. Better than you left her. Because they've been tended to. Cared for. Fed. You see? That's a pastor. That's a pastor in obedience. Not to you. In obedience to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. Find a man such as this because they care for your souls. You see? It's very important. We're living in very perilous times. And so look what happens here. Paul in, yes, verse 3, says that if you're in Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and how beautiful that is, but it doesn't end there. Look at what that blessing looks like in verse 17. The spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance of his saints. Oh, but I know this already. And I listen to this guy and he wants me to go grave soaking. And we go grave soaking after church. We go lay on the graves and do the... Listen, the Holy Spirit is not found in graves. You'll find carcasses, but you won't find the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not found in graves. Oh, but I listen to this guy. I'm so blessed. I listen to this guy. So what if he says it's okay to take the mark of the beast? I'll still be saved. No big deal. Oh, and the whole big, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. It's not for today. 
Really? Observe the flesh, my friend. Observe the carnal. Observe the uncircumcision and be ye circumcised. You see? He says in verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ? Wait a second. Wait a second. Verse 20 says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Hold on a second. Verse 19 says that this is according to the working of his mighty power. And then verse 20, which he worked in Christ, raising from the dead and seeing him at the right. That same power, that same power, which we're, the Lord, our Father, remember, we're adopted. Male, female, we're adopted in Christ. There's no male, female. And so like sonship, I don't know if daughtership is a word. In Christ, there's no male, female. Sonship, children of the Most High through Jesus Christ. And that same power which he worked in Christ, which raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, that same power is the very means by which, remember, with the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of promise, that is the same power by which verse 17 comes into play. I don't like to say comes into play, but which is effectuated. The spirit of wisdom, the revelation of knowledge of him, the eyes of understanding, being enlightened. Not that we wonder. I wonder if this is God's will. I wonder this. No, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Fellowship. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? How beautiful is this? That's the same power. The same power. You know how in we were, when we were in the Corinthian letters and a little bit in Galatians, and now I guess officially a little bit today, how we refer to Paul's entourage, a holy bubble? Well, that holy bubble is a little microcosm of a beautiful bubble and is that of our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Which is encompasses you and me. You see? That we may be all gathered in one. All gathered in one. As is written in verse 10. Not seven years prior all gathered in one. That's hardcore. Oh, you're crazy, you're crazy. You scream like you're crazy, man. You're crazy, man. Maybe I'm a little crazy. But I know this. We're not in Kansas anymore. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. Walking according not to the flesh. Many walk according to the flesh. Many walk according to their bellies. We need to walk by faith. You and me, we're on the same boat. We need to walk according to the Spirit. In closing, we see this in verse 21. Far above all principality. I look, this is so beautiful. Far above all principality. You know what's so, you know, we, we, we're, we're, 
we're entering the very precipice of the events of the 70th week of Daniel. And we're entering the events. We're already in the events of the last days, but regarding the 70th week, like it, we're right at the very precipice of the final seven years of world history. And it, it's perilous time, very perilous times. And the church will take casualties. It's very perilous. It, the, the, the Antichrist, it is given to prevail against the saints, for him to prevail against the saints. And he has his form of wrath and the Lord has his form of wrath. And as the rise of the Antichrist, as we see it, the beast kingdom grow and rise from the sea. You know what's so powerful about our Lord? That's done in like a day. That, that, like the might of the Antichrist and the armies of this world. It's not, it's, it's over in not even a full day. A portion of, it's one day, but it's a portion of one day. Over. Done. How? We have to remember these things. In verse 21, that far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in in. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. You see? That's the same power that I speak of. That the same power who worked in Christ in verse 20. Who does all these things. uh, The the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding. That's among those who believe. Not um, those who have walked through the door. Not those who have come to the door. To come to the door is beautiful. But there's more. You have to enter. And if you are listening and you still do not believe in Jesus Christ, you gaze upon him, you see a man, you see the beard, you see the robe, you see the sandals. But you have to enter the door. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ right here, right now, I don't know where you're at. You might be in Palisades. You might be in the, the Heights. You might be in Casas de Carton. I don't know. A cardboard box. You receive Jesus Christ right now. And if that's you, you hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. You come back and you listen. And we grow together and we move on to perfection. But that same power, it works in all who believe. That means there's entry into the door. Not an exit into the door going to the law. Not an exit to the door walking, you know, sidestep, 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 boom, out the door. And now, you know, under the law. Hopefully that person will listen to the tutor, which brings a person back to Christ. But if you don't listen to the tutor, then there's another danger, which is the wrath of God, which is scary. But people make their choice. Oh, but I never knew. I never knew. I was never taught like this. Well, you need a teacher. But my pastor tells me I can go grave soaking. Get another pastor. My pastor tells me I can take the mark of the beast. Get another pastor. My pastor's a money teacher. Get another pastor. My pastor teaches replacement theology. Get another pastor. You probably won't find one. I don't mean to sound fatalistic. 
but you probably won't find one. They are few and far between. I've searched high and low. But you might find a teacher. Baby girl's got to be safe, remember. But that same power, which worked in Christ and raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand, is the same power in all who believe that works in all who believe. Oh, but that was for another dispensation. That was for 2,000 years ago. Wrong. Get a new pastor. That guy's been teaching you wrong. Oh, but my pastor's a female. Boom. There you go. Get a new pastor. You're in the wrong formula. That's not the right formula. Pastors must be male. If you're female, I love you. If you're against the patriarchy, to a certain degree, I'm against the patriarchy too. Lower, lowercase p. But there's a better patriarch. Capital P. His name is Jesus Christ. If you're feminist, you're female pastor. Number one, you're not a pastor. Biblically, you're not a pastor. Step down. Repent. And yield to the real patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ, son of the Most High God. Not the Jesus Christ, the not the other Christ, not the other Jesus, lowercase j, lowercase c. The real Christ. If you're feminist, I love you. I don't hate you. I don't say this to hurt your feelings, but we're not in Kansas anymore. And that same power, which is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. You see, the world is crazy. You don't need me to tell you that. You look at the world, you see crazy town. But you know what? You look in the church, you know what you see? Crazy town. What does that show you when there's no order in the fellowships? That says a lot. One of the signs of the last days is when the church goes crazy. And that's what you see in these last days. It's so powerful when you see the Son of the Most High who's at the right hand of the Lord. He is head over all things to the church. In verse 23, which is his body. That's the body of Christ. The body, remember when Saul was persecuting the church? Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, the body of Christ you say, we're all one, church unity, church unity. But that church unity, which is beautiful, it must be in accordance to the word of God. Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. It cannot be, it mustn't be, it can never be in accordance to other blueprints. Because other blueprints, there's no safety. It is dangerous, it is poison, and possibly second death. That's why I say, come out of her, my people. Those are other houses with different blueprints. Oh, but I believe in Mary. Come out of her, my people. You're in the wrong house. Oh, but I'm nice and safe. Okay, you might be nice and safe now. But the tornado's not even here. The flood's not even here. The tsunami's not even here. The, the hurricane hasn't even come. But it's coming. And if you're in that house, you'll die. Because there's no safety. But the holy blueprints, you'll be safe.
Oh, but my pastor teaches me this. My pastor teaches me go grave soaking. Everything's going to be okay. Get a new pastor. Come out of her, my people. This is the body. Not another body. Remember, Paul, beware the mutilation. That's another body. Oh, but church, unity, unity, unity. Yes, unity is beautiful. But unity must follow the formula, the blueprints. Which is his body in closing, verse 23, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is so beautiful. Don't just look at the door. Enter the door and find rest for your souls. You see? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. There is rest for your souls. How many saints do you know do not have rest for their souls? They're in the wrong house. They're in the wrong house, straight up. Remember the threat that befell Corinth, the threat that befell Galatia, the threat that is coming against the Ephesian saints and the cost of being a Christian is getting greater and greater. The Roman soldier has a knife to your throat. Who is Lord? Caesar is Lord. Everything's fine and dandy. You get to go home, sleep in your nice comfy bed. You're nice, you know... Giza sheets, you got your nice goose pillows, goose down or whatever. But you have abandoned Jesus Christ. You have not acknowledged Jesus Christ before men. But they pose the question, who is Lord? And you say, Jesus is Lord. Boom. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. You'll die. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. The spirit reveals these things. The carnal cannot receive these things. The carnal thinks you're crazy. The world thinks you're crazy. But the spirit is willing. My question to you, are you? The Ephesian saints need to know this because the same threat that came against Galatia is going to come against them. The same threat that came against Corinth is going to come to them. And remember the overseers, they're in the process of turning defunct because Paul at the Miletus meeting says, even from among you, ravenous wolves will come and even you will become the ravenous wolves. Baby girl needs to be safe in that home. And if you don't stand Baby girl's not going to be safe. And for these Ephesian saints, there's a threat on baby girl. Paul was a different animal. Paul says, you know what? I'm here and this ain't happening. Everything's going to be safe. But after I leave, this is what's going to happen. The Ephesian saints need to know this. The saints today of these last days we need to know this. You see, we're not in Kansas anymore. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.